Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Parables. Jesus oftentimes used these short stories to teach people. Sometimes the parable opened people's eyes to the profound truth of God. Other times the parable was symbolic and challenged people to go deeper in their faith. But with every parable, Jesus wanted people to live out the reality of what they learned. This summer, we'll be studying some of the parables that Jesus used so we can discover and live out their truths in our lives. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website, www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. So this morning, we're going to pick up the story in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus was coming to the end of what historically has been considered the greatest sermon of all time. A crowd had gathered to hear him teach. You know, his reputation had begun to spread all throughout the land. You know, the audience consisted of mainly his disciples, but then there was a crowd of people that were not believers that were just interested in what he was doing. And also to figure it out was a bunch of the religious leaders of the time. They were curious and they were intrigued and they were captivated. And every person hung on every challenge and every practical word of this sermon. You know, some say that in public speaking, the last thing that you say, the thing that you end with is the most important thing that you say in the whole message because it's the thing that, the last thing that people remember. And so this was his send off. It was the end of the greatest sermon of all time. It was something special, something so simple but also so complex that not all the hearers really understood what he meant. Jesus told told this story in Matthew 7, 24 through 29. It says this, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And at the very end, we see that the crowd left amazed. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that when we look into your word, that your Holy Spirit reveals uh, new challenges and new promises and ways that we can um, put it into practice in our lives. Father, I pray this morning as we dive into this, this scripture in Matthew, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to hear exactly what you desire for us to hear. That we wouldn't just go through the motions of church because we're supposed to, but Father, we would fully engage with what you have in store for each one of our hearts this morning. Because God, we know that you've brought every man, woman, boy, girl into this church this morning for a reason and for a purpose. Change our hearts. Mold our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to say good morning again. If if you weren't here before, my name is uh, Pastor Dan. I'm the associate pastor here. Pastor Clark, you know, is away for the weekend. And and I'm excited to teach because we're in week eight of our parable series. We've been in this series all summer long. We've basically been looking at these parables or, or stories that were meant to teach that Jesus used throughout, you know, the gospels and his teaching. You know, we saw Jesus do ministry, and he would use these really cool stories to teach his disciples. And there was most always, you know, the the meaning that was heard and also a deeper meaning. And so it's been really cool to see how God has used uh, this summer and these stories to really impact the lives of our church body. 
You know, we've, we've studied things like the parable of the sower or the parable of the lost thing or the unjust steward or the good Samaritan. You know, last week, you know, Pastor Tim Ponzani, uh, you know, shared about, you know, the parable or the persistent prayer and the, the importance of prayer. But this week, we're going to dive into a parable that for me, I think is foundational, um, you know, under all of them. And it's so simple to understand but yet foundation on living a life sold out for Jesus Christ. And this principle, if we can put this into practice in our lives, it will help us stay strong and grounded no matter what life may bring. Now this parable, again, in, in scripture, if you look at the heading, it's, it's the parable of the wise and the foolish builder. Some of you might have, have heard of this. There's been, you know, kid songs growing up of, you know, the parable of the wise and foolish builder. And so, you know, I thought, you know, I got to talk about building a little bit. Now, if you know me as a person... And if you're going to describe me to somebody else, the word handy would not be probably in the top five, you know, adjectives that you would use to describe Dan Hermans. You know, maybe musical, maybe like extremely good looking, maybe some of those things, but probably not handy. And so, you know, it's just, it's not always my thing. You know, I can figure things out, but like I'm not a naturally handy you know, person. Um, and so I thank God every day that I have friends in my life that are handy because especially in the season of my life, things would be a lot more difficult. You know, my, my wife and I and our two kids, we just bought a house in, in West Hartford and um, I have a tendency to uh, do what's called biting off more than you can chew. And I've done this with our house in many different ways. Uh, my wife is, is looking at me and uh, you think I learned from the first uh, couple times, but I didn't. And so, you know, I've taken on projects. I've, I've, want, you know, I've had these dreams. I'm like, you know, how hard could it be to like move that wall? <laughs> a lot harder than you think. You know, I've learned a lot of things. Like, you know, I've learned that, you know, in, in doing anything at your home, it's gonna take like 10 times as long and it's gonna add like four zeros and then like to the, the cost and that's what it's gonna be. But I'm not a naturally handy person. So I've had, you know, friends from church, um, you know, that, that are builders and carpenters and electricians and just good friends from this body come over and I, I think it was like a, you know, a pity thing for them maybe. They felt really bad for me, but they've come and I've watched them work and I'm just amazed at sometimes how a skilled person can do things. You know, I'm amazed, like, like drywall is like another language for me. But there are some guys in our, our church body that like are whiz with drywall mudding and those things. I mean, there's just some things that as a non-handy person, like I can play a guitar, but when it comes to like cutting an angle on a floorboard, it's just not my gift in the world. And so I've been so impressed. But, you know, through this process of watching these guys, of, of taking on these processes or, or taking on these projects, you know, I've learned a couple things, you know, and most recently um, I took on the project of, of building, you know, a 12 by 24 deck attached to the back of our house. Because how hard could that be? Well, it's hard, church. It's a hard thing to do. YouTube covers a lot of things, but this is a little above the YouTube, you know, learning how to do things. And so, you know, so I, we started this project and, you know, I had a couple guys from church, you know, uh, Tim Plose, he's a, a builder from our church, and Pastor Clark, you know, who's done this before. And so I'm like, guys, I want to build a deck. Who's in? And they're like trying to like avoid eye. It's like when someone asks you to move, like help them move. It's like, ah. But, but they're like, yeah, let's do it. So it was a cool thing. But I never realized like, how much goes into these things to do them correctly. You know, my building experience in the past was not necessarily correct. And so, you know, we, we build a deck, we attach it on the side of our house. And so I had to pull a permit. So I went to town hall thinking like I watch YouTube again. They asked me questions. I mean, it was like another language, but we pulled the permit. And what I learned through this process is this. I've learned the importance, not just of a skilled hand. I mean, you need that. You need men or women that know what they're doing 
But I've also learned the importance of a good plan, an accurate plan, not one that's drawn with pencil, it's a whole other story, and the importance of the right materials. You know, a good plan and the right materials. This, however, hasn't always been, you know, my modus operandi. You know, like, I'm learning this now, you know, because again, if you want to build something in life, like, like structurally, that isn't just functional, but that will last, you need to do it correctly. Because many of us can, like, build things that, like, do the function. I could build a platform, but will it last when I walk on it? Probably not. And so I've learned this, and so, but again, I'm learning now. Like, I feel like I'm a little bit more, I, I bought myself some tools and went to Home Depot, got myself like a tool set on sale. Uh, I got a little saw, it's really little, doesn't cut through things. I learned that after I bought it. Um, <laughs> dead serious, doesn't cut through a two by four. It's a problem when you're trying to build things. You know, but, you know, I, I've always kind of just like, I'm a little bit more of the instant gratification kind of guy, and especially when it comes to building things. And so, you know, I, I lived in, in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, right out of, uh, I went to school for a bit and then moved to Nashville to, you know, pursue ministry and pursue music. And so I was 19 years old and I was working at this church. I was an intern. I was trying to be a rock star, keyword trying, and so I wasn't making any money. And so there's this family at the church, the name was the Bridges family. They're like, hey, Dan, like, we see that, like, you eat ramen every meal. We'd love to bless you. Come live with us for, like, a year. Like, come, we'd love to, you're an intern. You're like a missionary at our church, like we want to bless you. They didn't have a big house. They didn't have a lot of money, but they're like, we just want to bless you. And so it was awesome. They were good friends of mine already. I was friends with their sons. And so, you know, I was like, great, this is a, this is a godsend. And so I, I moved in with the bridges. Now, again, they had a small house, you know, a humble house. And, and so, you know, I had to bunk up, you know, with one of the boys. And so Gavin was a good buddy of mine. And so we're like, hey, we're going to, you know, sleep in this. We're going to share a room. Like beggars can't be choosers. And so this room, there were two beds, you know, that originally were bunk beds, but they were no longer. You know, my kids have these now. And so it was kind of like a dorm room feel, you know, bed on this side, bed on this side. So we're like, hey, if we put the beds on top of each other, there's more room for activities. If you get the reference, I'm proud. But, you know, there's more stuff. You know, we can do stuff. We can put a couch in. We can put a TV. We can have parties in this little, like, five-by-five room. I don't know. So, so we're like, let's build a bunk bed. I'm like, I got this. I got a drill. No problem. You know, it was like the, the buy one, get one free drill. But let's do it. And so, so we started. Now, again, I wanted, just, I wanted it to happen. Like, I got, when I put my mind to something, my wife will laugh. I, I want it done, and I, I just, I'd like to have it done quickly, like now. And so we put the beds on top of each other, which they're meant to go that way. But in doing that, we realized, like, so the top bunk, there's a piece of plywood, right, that the mattress goes on, and there's two two-by-fours that went down that the plywood, the edges would sit on top of. And so this piece had broken off. The two pieces, like, they need to be replaced. So I'm like, cool. So, like, I, I found some plywood, and, but all we had, it was like, we were doing this at night, all we had were these little, little screws. Barely could grab. So, like, it went through the main wood, but barely grabbed the side of the bed. So I'm like, this'll do. Like, you don't need the bigger screws. We'll make it. I'll just stick them in really deep. You know, no problem. Like, whatever. He's, he's going to sleep on the top bunk. You know, he's light. He's skinny. Like, whatever. So we did this because I wanted it to happen. I didn't have the right materials. I didn't have the skill. But I'm like, no problem. I can build a little bunk bed. So this story goes exactly how you think it's going to go. Middle of the night. I'm on the bottom bunk. He's on the top bunk. He's smaller than I am. And... All of a sudden, I get awoken to this bunk bed just collapsing on top of me. So I'm sleeping in the bottom bunk, dead asleep. The plywood, the mattress, and the Gavin all fall, and they crush me. The best part is that Gavin did not wake up, like dead serious. 
He's in his bed. And I'm like, Gavin, so I'm kicking the top of the bunk. It, like, it, it, I mean, it hurt. It was high up. It just fell. And so in the middle of the night, I'm like, like lifting this you know, 18-year-old guy in a bunk bed and all these things off of me because I wanted it right away and I didn't use the right materials. This, I believe, church, is a prime example of foolish building. I was a foolish builder. But it also highlights a basic principle that we're really going to be camping on this morning. And it's a, it's a cause and effect principle. It's a, you know, a basic thing that we learn. And, and there's this, this guy, his name is Pastor Rusty George. He's from Louisiana. And he wrote this awesome book uh, you know, called When You Then God. And it's basically this book that's focused a lot around this parable, but it's, it's voc- focused around this cause and effect principle in, in growing in a life sold out for God. And so a lot of what we're going to be talking about is going to kind of come from this cause and effect example. So he talks about this simple principle. It says this. It's really simple. If you do X, then you get Y. Right? Simple. When X, then Y. So we've seen this principle play out in our lives in different ways. You know, when you rebuild a bunk bed with half-inch screws, then it will fall on you in the middle of the night. You know, if you do that, then it will. You know, when you eat unhealthy foods, you will gain weight and you won't feel good. You know, maybe for kids or teens, you know, here this morning, you know, when you don't do your homework or you wait until the last minute, like the morning of, you won't do well on the test, you won't get a good grade, and you'll just be stressed. You know, but it's not always negative. You know, the, the cause and effect isn't always negative. It was for me in this, this, you know, example, but it's not always, you can look at it as a positive way as well. Like for instance, when you invest your money in retirement, starting early, then you'll have plenty of money later to retire with. It's this amazing thing. You know, when, when you change your oil in your car regularly, not like seven, eight, nine thousand, like 5,000 miles or whatever, when you change it regularly, the car will last longer. When you exercise daily, you'll feel better. The cause and effect principle, when I do X, then Y happens. If X, then Y. And the cool part is that we see, and this book unpacks this a lot, and I would recommend grabbing the book, um, you know, but it unpacks this principle a lot, you know, in Scripture, that we see this cause and effect idea all throughout Scripture in the Old and the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, for instance, we see, you know, it starts with Adam and Eve. You know, it says, you know, when you stay away from the tree, things will go well for you. If you stay away from the tree, things will go well. But we see that they didn't listen and so sin entered the world. And then we, we see, you know, with Noah, you know, Noah's people had, or the people had sinned against God and God said, I'm going to send a flood. But when you build a boat, then I will save you and your family. You know, if you build, if you listen, then I'll, I'll save you. Abraham, you know, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they were old, like triple digits old. And Abraham didn't have a son to pass down his name. He didn't have an heir, which was a big deal in this time. And, and God, so it was a, a problem. And God said this, you know, to Abraham, he said, when you trust me, I will make you a father of many nations. Moses, you know, it, Moses was, you know, a simple guy. He didn't think that he was capable. But God said, when you follow my lead, then I will help you lead my people out of Egypt. We see this cause and effect, this cause of obedience or trust or movement and this effect of God keeping his word. We see this all throughout the New Testament as well, especially with the teachings of Jesus. You know, when you come to me and lay your burdens at my feet, then I will give you rest. You know, when you give me the first fruits of all that you have, then I will multiply it and make it even greater. When you seek me, then you will find me. When you do X, then God will do Y. When you, then God. If you, then God. 
You know, I was, uh, when I was in Tennessee, you know, I was interning at this church and I was working in the youth group and I was a, a small group leader for a seventh grade group of guys and we were right in the summer camp season. And so, you know, I, I took these guys in, into the summer camp and one of the big goals of summer camp was invite your friends who don't know the Lord, who aren't, you know, involved in church. And so this kid was invited by another kid in our group. His name was Trace. And he was like this, you know, stodgy, like punk, you know, anti-establishment seventh grade boy. And so he came and was <laughs> trouble from the very beginning of camp. But I remember I saw God kind of working in his heart and his life. And, and it came the night when there was a salvation presentation. I remember he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I've been praying for him all week. He was so excited. He went up front. He raised his hands. It was this amazing moment where he accepted the forgiveness of Jesus that Jesus paid for on, on the cross. So we get back home. You know, we have, we have youth group a couple more weeks. We don't see Trace. So I asked his buddy Jackson who had brought him, I said, hey man, where's Trace? Like, what's the deal? Like he made this decision, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I gave him all this stuff, like where'd he go? And Jackson said, well, he doesn't want to come back. I'm like, why not? I'm like, just get him to come. Get him to come one more time. Tell him I'll buy him Taco Bell after youth group. Like get him to come, you know? And so, so he came back the next week and you know, he, he came to me and I'm like, hey man, how's it going? Like, how's your walk with God? I'm so excited to see him. And he said, man, it's not going good. I feel like I was tricked. Can I like return it? <laughs> He's like, my life hasn't gotten any better. I was told it was going to get better. My life hasn't gotten any better. And so I asked him these questions, and they're questions that I've, I've asked students for years, and, you know, that, you know I, I asked just people who feel far from God, and I, I asked this question. I said, all right, Trace, well, let's figure this out. You know, have you been reading God's Word? You know, I gave you a Bible. Have you been in God's Word? No. Okay, well, have you been praying daily? We talked a lot together at camp about praying at night before you go to bed, just starting that way, saying, thank you, God, for my day and what you're thankful for. No. You know, have you come back to youth group to, to hear teaching, to be in a, a life group with your friends and your peers, to, to worship with one another? No. And so I had this moment where, man, who do you think is responsible for your life to change? It doesn't sound like you've been participating in this relationship at all. But see, that story is so common, I feel like, especially in the Western church right now, because we have this consumeristic type culture where we expect it all just to happen. We expect it to be handed to us. And we expect that when we come to Jesus, our lives will just magically fall into place. You know, time and time again, I literally, I mean, the, the, the Trace story is a little bit more on the extreme side, but time and time again, I talk with people who are wondering, why is my situation, why is my life, why is my marriage, why are my emotional health, why is it not changing? I came to Jesus, what's up? See, we can think falsely that our lives will be transformed automatically, and when this doesn't happen, and we're seeing this a lot, especially with our younger leaders today, when our lives don't change automatically, we get upset. We question God, we point fingers, and we walk away. See, we expect God to do it. We expect the church, maybe you expect the church or your pastors or your life group. We expect other people to participate in our life change, and we put little to no effort in, and then we wonder why we don't see growth. Then we wonder why we don't see transformation. Growing in your faith isn't something that just happens, church, but instead it's a partnership with God. Growing in your faith isn't just something that happens. It's a partnership with your church. Growing in your faith isn't just something that happens. It's a partnership with your life group. See, scripture is packed full of godly principles, you know, that, that God gives us because God wants us to do amazing, or God wants to do amazing things in our lives and through our lives. We see them all over scripture. 
God has a wonderful plan for our lives. We hear that a lot. We see the promises. We see these blessings. But what a lot of times we ignore is that they all require our participation. They all require our obedience. It's easy to want the blessing. I want the promises. I want it all. I want, I want the finances. I want the wealth. I want to be happy. I want everything to work out. But then we're not willing to put in the work. We're not willing to be obedient. We're not willing to sacrifice. And there are some churches in today's world that do preach that, that if you come to Jesus, it all like this prosperity gospel. That's not what we see in scripture. Now I want to give a disclaimer before we go any further, because I don't want anybody to hear me wrong. When it comes to salvation, faith alone can save you. We believe firmly, and I believe firmly that a saving faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you, not works, not doing all the right things. So don't hear me the wrong way. I'm not talking about earning your way to God. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast, but walking in the fullness of the blessings that God has for your life requires your obedience. We need to participate in the partnership. See, we don't usually go along in that verse in Ephesians, but the next you know, um, verse says this, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, we are literally saved by grace, but we are wired by God and prepared in advance to do great things. The question is, are we willing to partner with him? You know, it's the foundation of the cause and effect principle when it comes to our spiritual growth. When you, then God. If you, then God. Again, it's not about earning love. The love is unconditional, but the blessings are conditional. You don't hear that a lot in church, but it's the reality. It's the truth. And a lot of us experience that in the good or the bad way. Love is unconditional, but blessings are conditional. When you... When you love God and when you walk with God, it's not about earning it. But if you want to see him grow your life, grow your maturity, grow your faith, then we need to partner with him. So I think the question becomes, and this is a question that honestly haunts me a lot. This is a question that, you know, when I, when I take, like daily, when I'm in the word, I'm, I'm looking at my life, I ask this question, what blessing of God am I missing out because I'm not willing to partner with him in my spiritual transformation? What blessing of God are you, am I, missing out with because we're not willing to do it. We're not willing to partner. We're not, we're not willing to obey. You know, when we look all throughout Scripture, we, so, we see so many amazing life-changing promises. In the Old Testament, it says, if my people would gather together in my name and pray, then God will heal our land. Like, church, we need our land to be healed now more than ever. And God says, hey, I'll do it. You just got to gather together and pray. But it's a, it's a kind of a joke within church leadership. The prayer meeting is always the least attended meeting. You know, we're missing these promises. You know, there's a promise. You know, if you cast your fears upon God, he will relieve your anxiety. If you lay your fears before him, he'll relieve that. But so many times we try to figure it out and we hold on so tightly that we don't experience that peace and rest. You know, if, if we, you know, give God, you know, all that we have, if we see our income and, and everything that we have as a gift from him and we give back to the church and we're generous with others, the Bible says that God will multiply. He'll give us more than we can handle. But so many times we're so stingy with what we have that we're not willing to give and so God has limited that promise. The Bible says if you come and lay down 
your burdens, he'll carry them for us. How many of us are carrying our own burdens because we're not willing to give up control and let God? See, this principle, this cause and effect, if you, know, if, uh, you then God is highlighted in this parable of the wise and the foolish builder. When you then God. Matthew 5 through 7, as I said before, is this amazing sermon, the greatest sermon ever spoken, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's the longest recorded teaching of Jesus that we have in Scripture. You know, Jesus taught on things that we're so familiar, many of us are familiar with in church, like the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, he, he talks about salt and light. He talks about prayer and fasting and worrying and, and how we shouldn't judge others. And he talks about fulfillment of the law and loving enemies. I mean, these are foundational teachings that we to this day in church culture focus on regularly. And he's teaching to his disciples, but he's also teaching to religious leaders and he's teaching to people who just are interested in what he's talking about. And so the sermon is coming to a close and we see a couple chapters He's talked about all these things, and he ends with this story. I'm going to read it one more time. Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Therefore, and I want to pause there, because that is an important word in the scripture. All of these things are spoken. There's all this, this content and these promises and these challenges and these commands that Jesus is giving his followers. And then he said, therefore, in summary, to sum it all up, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. See, he's literally referencing words that he had just spoken. If you don't look at this parable in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, you can think, well, what is he talking about? He's, yes, he's talking about all the commands that he's yet to give, but also he's looking at this amazing sermon that he just gave. And he said, hey, you're wise if you hear it and you do it. But the context, I think, geographically is also really important. And I, I'm, I'm kind of a Bible nerd when it comes to this stuff because I, I want to understand truly what the Bible and the text is saying. And the geographical content is important because the people hearing this story, the people that Jesus is teaching to, would have understand this. Let me explain. You know, Jesus is teaching. He's, he's in the land of Galilee. And so he says he went up on a mountain. He was, you know, gathered this big crowd. He kind of went up on a mountain to teach his disciples in Galilee. And in Galilee, the, the, the land was, was sandy. But in the summer, the sand got really hard. Like it seemed very like concrete. It got very, very hard. It was seemingly a good place, a good foundation to build structures on. You know, so when I like grew up or learning this story, like I always had like pictured like a house on the beach with like wavy sand and like, why would anybody build their house on sand? That's stupid. I would never do that. But no, this was like the sand in the summer seemed sufficient. And if a builder wanted to take an easy way out, wanted just to get something up, wanted to not consider the materials and all those different things, they could build a house on the sand and it would probably work out for a bit. But then we see, because this was right near the Sea of Galilee, you know, Galilee is, is around the Sea of Galilee, and, and feeding into the Sea of Galilee was the Jordan River. And what was known in this area is that in the winter months, the Jordan River would swell, the Sea of Galilee would flood. There would be storms, but the flooding was important because the flooding, which happened every winter, this wasn't like a hurricane that maybe it would happen or not, like maybe if the storms come, the flooding that was regular every winter would flood and it would, you know, make the sand not stable anymore. 
And so good builders in this time knew that under the sand, sometimes uh, 10 feet down, was bedrock, was a solid foundation. And so the people knew this as Jesus was talking, all these different details. And so Jesus is saying basically this, a wise man doesn't take the easy way out. Because building, again, on a beach, a house, like with no, like that just seems ridiculous. No one would do this. But this is more saying a wise man doesn't take the easy way out. But he puts in the work and he does what's needed to build a house that wouldn't crumble when the flooding came. Jesus, here, don't miss this church. Jesus is comparing obedience, participation, and transformation. He's comparing it to the wise and the foolish builder. That a wise man wouldn't take the easy way out. Instead, a wise man would put in the work. A wise man would hear and do the word. He would participate in transformation. He wouldn't just listen. He wouldn't just, you know, because again, the religious leaders of that day, it was all about surface level. And so Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders. He's like, no, it's not easy surface level. I want all of you. A wise builder wouldn't just take the easy way out, but instead they would do the work and get to the foundation. And because of this, their houses will be left standing when the floods came. When the floods came. See, when we see the cause and effect for us in this parable church. This isn't just for the people of that time, but for us today, when we hear God's word and we put it into practice, then God will give us an unshakable faith. When we hear God's word, when we read God's word, you don't just, you're saying, well, I don't listen. I'm just going to read it. Then I don't have to do it. No, when we hear God's word, when we read God's word and we put it into practice, then God will give us an unshakable faith. It's cause and effect. And the content, again, is important because the floods always came. And we know that in life, floods always come. Storms always come. You know, in James, it says, you know, in the verse 1 of James, it says, you know, consider it joy, my, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. Not if, when. You know, and, and floods look different. You know, people get sick. You know, I hate the C word. I hate cancer so much. And it seems like it happens so much. People get sick. Relationships crumble. Finances can get tight. Children can be difficult. School can be hard. I'm sure that so many of you could fill in the blank with a couple dozen more of these problems that we have. Life is hard. Trials will happen. So here, Jesus is giving us the key. He's not saying, and this I think is what Trace heard at camp. Jesus is not saying, hey, when you come to me, all the trials will be stripped away. No, he's saying, hey, if you hear me and if you do what I say, you won't avoid the trials, but you will stay strong in the midst of them. We use that word a lot in, in leadership here, in the midst of. But a lot of us are in the midst of. Jesus gave us the key here of an unshakable faith. So this seems so simple, but how do we do it? <laughs> you know, it's like easy to say, well, just do what the Bible says. You know, we all know that. It seems so simple, you know, but there's this thing that, you know, Pastor Randy in this book, he talks about a lot. And he has this, this um, you know, comparison to the cause and effect principle of, of hearing and doing to a golf swing. Now, here's another disclaimer. I am not a golfer. I played golf in middle school. I took some lessons. I realized I'm way too angry of a human being to play golf. If you have an anger problem, golf is not the game for you. Really not any sport, but especially golf because you have stuff you can swing at people. And so, but he, he compared this whole cause and effect hearing and doing to a golf swing. Now, again, if you talk to like some of you are real golfers, so please bear with me. But he talks about how in a golf swing, there's like millions of different things to consider. 
right? Your grip, your stance, you know, where you're looking, your arms, all these different things. But there's two main aspects. If we're going to really get really, really simple, there's the backswing and there's the follow-through, right? There's the backswing and then there's the follow-through. And those two things, yeah, there's a lot of other factors, but to hit a ball well, accurately, far, you need to have a, a good backswing and a good follow-through. So, so he compares hearing to the backswing and he compares follow-through to the, or uh, doing to the follow-through. I love this. He, he says, you know what? Love God, love people. It's simple, right? But, but it's hard. See, for many of us, we can tend to lead heavy on one or the other. You know, a lot of us, you know, can be the backswing people. We are students of the word. We know scripture. You know, sometimes we're angry too. Yeah, that's, I think, the fun little analogy with this as well. But we're students of the word. We listen to podcasts. We will never miss the Sunday. If we do, we'll get the podcast for it. We read theological books. We love just getting into meat of scripture. We love hearing God's word. But we don't do anything about it. And then there's people that are awesome with the follow-through, people that are just naturally loving, the doers. But a lot of times, the people that are really good with the follow-through and have no backswing also have their lives completely out of whack. They're more concerned about pleasing those around them than they are about what God thinks. Usually these types of people have bad boundaries. They let people walk all over them. They let people manipulate them. They're nice and they're kind, but then they get exhausted and they burn out. So do you want an unshakable life? Do you want a faith that can withstand the storms? Well, it takes both. It takes both a solid backswing and a strong follow-through. There's a great quote. It says this, spiritual maturity is directly related to the length of time between hearing the word of God and doing it. It has nothing to do with how old you are or how gray your beard is, or for women that's weird, but like it, a lot of times we think like, oh, spiritual maturity wisdom, it's how old you are. It's the old guys. No, no, no. It's simply put, spiritual maturity is directly related to the length of time between hearing God's word and doing it. So let me ask you this question. It's not to guilt you, but it's to challenge you to think out of all the things that you've learned here at Valley Brook, for those of you that call Valley Brook your church home, out of all the things that you've learned, even just from the series this summer, how many of them have you actually put into practice? Even just last week, we talked about persistent prayer and the power of prayer. How many of you left last week and you were you know, like, like these people were, they were amazed. You were challenged, but then you left and you forgot about it. See, for me, I, I tend to lean heavy on the backswing. I'm a backswing guy. You know, I love God's word. I love geeking out on God's word. I love reading commentaries. I, I know one of my favorite podcasts, it's called The Bible Project, and they just like dig into ridiculous topics that no one really ever needs to know, but I love it. It's just interesting to me. It's fascinating, you know, but a lot of times I struggle with the follow-through. I struggle loving people because you guys are hard to love sometimes. <laughs> New England drivers are hard to love sometimes. I got a ton of stories about that. But one of the ways that, you know, I felt convicted, you know, was, was I struggled with the fall through where I knew what God's word said about giving of my finances. You know, I knew that, that giving, you know, of my finances was a way that I could give back to the church and it funded ministry and it was showing God that I trusted him. All that, I've taught on it. But I struggled for a long time, church, being transparent with actually giving God, you know, more than just a little bit, being inconvenient and giving God my first fruits. I knew what the word said 
but it was hard to do it when it meant to sacrifice. You know, some of us have these different things, and, and so, but in the end, to live an unshakable life, a life of spiritual wisdom, a life of transformation, we need both. We need to hear and we need to do. I'm going to invite the band up as we, we come to a close this morning. You know, I want to tell you a story. There's this, uh, there's this, this family at the church that I used to, to go to. Their name is the Green Family. And I remember they're, they're a perfect example of this hearing and doing principle. And so, you know, the, the Green Family, I remember we were sitting at church one Sunday and it was Adoption Sunday. And so, you know, this church, we had an adoption Sunday where this one Sunday we focused on adoption, you know, God's heart for the orphan and for the widow and how important it is, you know, maybe if God hasn't called, you know, you to adopt, to be part of that process. And I remember this family and they, they had, you know, they were, you know, a well-off family. They, life was you know, comfortable for them. They had a couple kids and everything was, was set and they went and they heard that message. They heard God's challenge. I remember we got lunch right afterwards and they, I literally sat and they said, you know what? Because they've heard this before. They've heard the challenge. They've, they've felt the inkling from the Holy Spirit. They said, you know what? We're going to finally do what we hear. We're going to put it into practice. And that week they started this, this whole process of adopting. They adopted three kids, you know, three at like nine, 10, and 11, you know, kids. This was a family that wasn't, this wasn't even on their radar a week before, but they felt convicted because they heard God's word. And they said, you know what? We're going to finally do it. And I'll tell you, that process for them was hard. You know, many of you have been involved with adoption or have friends that have been. It was a hard process, especially if they didn't adopt from the U.S. There were, you know, barriers. There was financial issues. There was paperwork issues left and right. But it was so cool how the more that they put into practice what they heard, the more unshakable their faith was. I remember when their kids were supposed to, you know, their adopted kids were supposed to come home and it got pushed back because there, there was an issue in, in where they were coming from. And I remember them sitting and just praying and they weren't shaken. Yeah, they were upset. Yeah, they were sad, but their faith wasn't shaken because they put into practice. They built their life on a foundation. They didn't just hear, but they did it. You know, putting this cause and effect principle into action in all of our lives starts with one simple question. Simple question. Where is your swing week? You know, do you have a great backswing? Maybe you know the word. You listen to podcasts. You read books. You attend all the services you can. You'll go to concerts. You'll go to any Christian conference that you can. But you struggle loving people well. And then you need to be able to, or begin to put into practice what you're hearing. You know, if you have a great backswing, but your follow-through is bad, maybe you need to start you know, to serve more at the church. Maybe you need to, to give more financially, be more generous as an act of worship. You maybe need to join a community and commit. You know, this is life group season, people. You maybe need to give God more control over areas of your life that you've been hanging on to. You need to trust him with your decisions. Or maybe you have a great follow through. You know, maybe you're, you're a people lover, but you can't find the time to get to church regularly. Or you read scripture or you, or you don't regularly read scripture. You know, it's amazing the statistics that, you know, how little in the American church, how little people by, like, you know, professing Christians actually read scripture. You know, maybe you're great at loving people, but you really rarely hear God's word. Well, then you can get into it. <laughs> you can spend more time listening in prayer. You can join a Bible study, join a life group, make Sunday morning a priority. It's crazy how in today's world, just carving out time for church on Sunday morning is so countercultural. 
You know, maybe you have poor boundaries because you care more about what others think of you than what God does. So you're constantly drained. See, God desires for your life, for my life, that we would live in unshakable faith. That when the storms come, which they will, God's heart for each one of us is that we would not be moved. God's given us the promises. He's taught, told us about the blessings, but we need to participate. You know, God desires for our lives to be transformed daily. The question is, are you willing to participate? You know, this habit series is coming at a perfect time because over the 12 weeks of the All Church Study, we're literally talking about simple ways, simple habits, simple spiritual disciplines that we can put into place in our lives to see spiritual transformation. Now, I tell you, if you go to the habit series and you just read it, you don't do it, don't waste your time because it's not going to do anything for you. But if you draw a line in the sand, you're saying, you know what, I'm going to try this. I'm just going to try to pray a little bit more. I'm going to maybe open my Bible, and I haven't done that in a long time. I'm going to be more present. Whatever it is, then God will begin to radically change your life. Not because I'm saying he will, but because his word says he will. I'm going to end with this church this morning. Jesus is challenging all of us to this simple truth in this parable. Jesus is saying to you, to me, would you hear my words? Would you put them into practice? Because when you do, I'm going to build you an unshakable life. I want us to stand this morning as we close. I want to sing this, this one song as we, as we go out. And it's a song called Build My Life. It's very appropriate. But as we sing this song, church, I want to challenge you to not just make this a song, but make this a declaration. Make this a line in the same moment that whether it's your backswing or your follow through, you are committed, even just this week, even just today, simply to try to work on your swing. Because church, the promises, the blessings that God has for you that maybe you've been missing out on thus far are greater than you can ever imagine. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.